You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and welcome, welcome, welcome again here to Snarky Faith. Uh, Thanks for joining us this week. We are on, what is this, a short week because we've got Thanksgiving happening. For most of you, short week, right? And for me, this will be a little bit of a shorter show, just fair warning. And because of that, we're not going to have our regular rundown of Christian crazy going on this week. Why? Why? Well, do you need a bunch of like just blathery headed idiots raging at you here on the podcast? Because you know, you're going to get that on Thanksgiving as you're sitting around there with family and friends, you're going to have enough crazy to deal with on your own, which is why towards the end of the show, we're going to give you the rundown of how to survive Thanksgiving. Actually, no, no, forget that. Not how to survive, how to thrive in Thanksgiving, like how to set a plan, how to set some goals and make your way through the turkey day and do it with as little bloodshed as possible. So hopefully we'll have some tips. (laughs) Hopefully we'll have some usable tips for you this week. But before we get to that, You know, we've been through a very, I don't know, I think so far, if I'm going to give 2018 a grade, overall, I mean, towards the end of the year, there's there's been some extra credit to try to pull it up. But overall, 2018 has really just been a bust. And uh, because of that, we're not going to mention the Orange's name, whom we won't speak of or talk about here on the show today because you're probably going to hear it. You'll probably have like that, that MAGA-hatted uncle that will be there to ruin any bit of merriment and happiness and joy on Thanksgiving. So I'm not even going to speak his name. I'm not even going to say tea or rump or anything else like that. No, 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 no. We're not going to talk about it. But what we are going to talk about is something that's kind of in the sphere of this, that's kind of hovering around in the periphery of what's going on here within like the cultural zygist uh, right now here in America. What I want to begin to talk about is the way that we consume information, more specifically, the echo chambers that we find ourselves in. So to begin this chat, we need to have a couple of definitions in mind for us to be able to really think through and, well, I don't know. I think these are these ultimately will be good for us to kind of like begin to frame what we're talking about here. And, and one of the terms that gets tossed around a lot, and we've talked about it like way in the past in the show, um, is the term confirmation bias. And I found a pretty good definition of it that I, I tended to like, and I think it's going to fit this conversation pretty well. And this comes from, uh, it is a Dr. Helschmidt. Uh, who wrote what is confirmation bias in psychology today. And he says this, he says, confirmation bias occurs from the direct influence of desire on beliefs. When people would like a certain idea or concept to be true, they end up believing it to be true. They are motivated by wishful thinking. This error leads the individual to stop gathering information when evidence 
when the evidence gathered so far confirms the views or prejudices one would like to be true. He goes on to say, so once we have formed a view, we embrace information that confirms that view while ignoring or rejecting information that casts doubt on it. Confirmation bias suggests that we don't perceive circumstances objectively. We pick out those bits of data that make us feel good because they confirm our prejudices. Thus, we may become prisoners to our own assumptions. For example, some people will have a very strong inclination to dismiss any claims that marijuana may cause harm as nothing more than old-fashioned reefer madness. Some social conservatives will downplay any evidence that marijuana does not cause harm. So what we begin to see here in that situation, that was his example, not mine, um, what we begin to see is, is, is how we just collectively as a culture begin to step into this narrative of how we consume information. And as we consume information, it goes through those biases or lenses in our minds, and we get situations like what he's speaking about here, which is confirmation bias. And the article pushes this point home a lot further, saying this, self-deception can be like a drug, numbing you from harsh reality, or turning a blind eye to the, to the tougher matter for gathering evidence and thinking. As Voltaire commented long ago, illusion is the first of all pleasure. And in some cases, self-deception is good for us. For example, for dealing with certain illnesses, having positive thinking may actually be beneficial, such as cancer, but not with diabetes or ulcers. There is a lim there's limited evidence that believing that you will recover um, helps reduce the level of stress hormones, giving the immune system and modern medicine a better chance to do their work. So in some, people are prone to believe what they want to believe. Seeking to confirm our beliefs comes naturally, while it feels strong and counterintuitive to look for evidence that contradicts our beliefs. This explains why opinions survive and spread. Disconfirming instances are far more powerful in establishing truth. Disconfirmation would require looking for evidence to disprove it. So that's our first term that we are running with here. Our next term that we're going to hop into for the conversation is tribalism. And more specifically, the one that we will get into is toxic tribalism. Now, for a running definition, just as an easy kind of overview of tribalism, tribalism is a state or fact of being organized into a tribe or tribes. And uh, that type of behavior and attitudes, it stems from a strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. And, and we as humans, we as humans, we have this, this natural inclination to want to belong. And, and that desire to belong, there's nothing inherently evil with it. But the problem is it begins to transition into toxic tribalism when it begins to slide down and it, be, and it leads to kind of a social blindness towards anything else that we begin to see. It's loyalty to group over reality, loyalty to group over how that group may be hurting or persecuting other groups of people. It ends up just being group overall. And so we begin to see that. And, and I'm going to use some of this. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're going to use some of the talk and to really be able to, to dial down on toxic tribalism as kind of a working document here. Um, and I'm going to pull this from an article over on medium.com from uh, Zaid Dahaj. Uh, sure, I'll run with that one. Uh, he wrote an article called Why Toxic Tribalism is Destroying Our Society and What to Do About It. And 
And I loved, I loved, I loved how he began to kind of run with how he defines toxic tribalism. And he said it like this. He said, uh, it's a loyalty to one's own tribe or social group to the point that dogma and dysfunction become the standard. And he goes on to say is that there's two key characteristics towards identifying toxic tribalism. So the first one of those is demon, uh, demonization. Um, and he says, this is the first and foremost quality of someone who is toxically tribal. Uh, if there's any labeling of the other group as being stupid, evil, racist, demons, scum, uh, so on and so forth, then you can almost be sure that you are in the uh, mindset of toxic tribalism. And the second key ingredient of toxic tribalism is unconscious behavior and attitudes. Uh, one of the hallmarks of someone who is engrossed in toxic tribalism is the lack of con uh, conscious behavior. Unconscious behavior comes in many forms, such as screaming, not entertaining contrary ideas, being closed-minded, violence, and the list goes on. You, can, uh, you cannot be dogmatic if you are truly conscious in the present moment. Dogmatic behavior can only take place in unconsciousness. So kind of like let that sit for you for a while, especially when we get to that level of, of toxic tribalism that we're beginning to see in culture. We begin to see it like see it, it rear its ugly heads almost in like he's mentioning here, almost in a, like in a subconscious manner. Like we, we begin to, to learn and know like what is what is fight and what is flight. We begin to see like what, uh, you know, who's good from far off, who's bad from far off. I mean, I do this. I do this as well, too. If I see someone with a red hat, I <laughs> I instantly have a reaction and a response to it. It could be a red hat for uh, being pro-Switzerland. I don't know. Something. Yeah, it could be anything. But when I see that instinctively in my head, I pause and, and, and I begin to just dial that into my head and say, OK, OK, I'm already sizing this person up. And so, and so we do this, we do this, but the problem is when we begin to infiltrate and move into this area of toxic tribalism. So the words that we're running with so far, right? The words that we are running with so far are confirmation bias and toxic tribalism, which leads us to our third, our third word that we're going to be talking about, and which I mentioned earlier on the show is echo chambers. And there's no better place to get a working definition of echo chamber than going to UrbanDictionary.com because that's where truth reigns. But actually, <laughs> I really did like their definition uh, of echo chamber here, and especially the example that they gave here. Usually, Urban Dictionary is either crass or sarcastic or funny, and this still is, but I, actually, I felt like it was very truthful in, in their definition um, on the website here. And so they define echo chamber as a place free of serious debate where everyone repeats the same opinions. No one calls anyone else out and criticism is frowned upon. The example they give is right-wing ideologues have spent decades constructing a vast echo chamber where facts do not matter. The opinions of bigots are constantly valued, validated and serious criticism is either undermined or non-existent. Another example they gave is, oh, a certain president number 45 because i said i'm not going to say his name on the show today we're going clean we're going clean um yeah so how about that? 45's cabinet meetings are echo chambers where he can be told how great he is so when we talk about all of these put together we begin to see this 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 very dangerous recipe we begin to see how how confirmation bias begins to really change the way we see the world 
we begin to see how tribalism, those that we identify with, like ideologically, religiously, and otherwise, begins to change the way we look at the world. And then on top of it, we have this tendency to create our own echo chambers of how we consume information. So through those weird lenses, we'll change how we consume information. So we have all of these three coming together right now, probably with a bunch of other stuff as well too, but those three are the ones I'm seeing right now. They come together and they bring us to a place where we can no longer see the humanity in the other person. And it's very easy. It's very easy for um, when I begin to mention this stuff, because that's where my brain goes too. It's very easy to see this as a bad, bad right-wing folks, bad conservative Christians, bad, 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 bad. Because we spend most of our time on our show scolding them like they're a dog that just crapped on the carpet. Um, If only I could rub their noses in it. Well, that's what we try to do here on the show. Not the dog. Not the dog. No, don't do that to the dog. That's just weird and cruel. But (laughs) to the conservative Christians, sure, have it a go. That's what we do here on Snarky Faith. But I say all that to say this. It's easy for us to see the other and begin to say, oh, yeah, check Check, check. Oh, look at them. They're doing that. But when I begin to look back in the mirror at myself, a person that would say that that comes from, well, that, that, that views life through more of a progressive lens, I can see how that happens on this side too. And we begin to boil down life and culture into simple colors like, are you red or are you blue? It paints a very, very 2D picture of humanity and our, the cultural landscape that we're living in right now. Because if we all think about this, if we all think about the complexities of our lives, like the people that we interact with, the different hats we wear, the different languages that we speak, or how we yeah change what we say to different groups, we constantly are processing tons of information on a regular basis. But somehow, we like to move back into those areas of black or white, good or bad, that everything is just so, so simple. And the problem with that is that these three things that I've mentioned today, they continue to perpetuate themselves in a circle over and over and over again. Like confirmation bias continues to just confirm tribalism and we have tribalism, well, it keeps us in an echo chamber, and that echo chamber continues to confirm the biases that we have. So we continue in this weird place where we are just going over and over again. We listen to the same voices, we read the same authors, we continue to consume the same things. Because overall, uh, like in, in measures of, of all of these actually, uh, from confirmation bias, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel good to be able to confirm our beliefs as we walk out into the world. With tribalism, it makes us feel good to have a win, to have people to high-five with. I mean, I mean, the easiest way to see this is just look at football fans. I mean, it's that same idea. You want that identity. You want that belonging. But the problem is, sometimes your team isn't number one. And sometimes your tribe's not number one. And sometimes you may not have all the facts straight. And when we only consume information through an echo chamber of our own lenses, we're going to continue to hear the same things, do the same things, and hate the same things. And as much as I hate repeating history, history will continue to repeat itself 
unless we decide to change. Now, it's easy to call for change on the other side. Oh my gosh, you hateful, misogynist, racist bigots. Stop doing hateful, misogynist, racist, bigoted things. I mean, it's easy to say that because, of course, of course we want that to happen. Of course we want people to stop being just awful to other people. But again, change begins with ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm pausing a lot here. This is not even really a dramatic pause, but I'm pausing to, to give folks time just to think about that. As much as we want the other side, whoever the other side is, regardless of where you're staying, standing, we want the other side to change because we don't like what they're doing. And we want to be able to inflict our change upon them. But the only real change that we can be a part of starts with us. If we're tired of the cycles, if we're tired of the same, if we're tired of being able to see these same things happening over and over and over again, it begins with us. It begins with what we do, how we respond, how we walk into the world, how we interact with others, how we have dialogues, how we argue or don't argue. You see, all of this impacts the world around us. And it's so easy to get caught up and these tribalistic ideas of, yay, after the election, our team had a big blue wave. Or two years ago, yay, we won the president, our the presidency, our team won. I mean, we get into that very pettiness of this, and but it feels good. And everybody likes to win. I don't know what, what ah, really try not to say his name. When 45 had said, you know, oh, America's going to get so tired of winning. I don't, that in itself is, is, is a stupid statement because I don't think anybody really ever gets tired of winning. We always want to win. But ultimately, we want to win the right way. We want to win by making change. We want to we win by making a difference. And all of that comes back to us. And the crazy thing is that change starts with us but ultimately, the hope is that in some small way, the positive change can impact all of us in a positive way. You know, it, it's when we hope to enact positive change in this world, it isn't that my, I get my way and you don't get your way. No, no, no. It begins to move us to a place where we are able to have shared wins and be excited about what is happening and working together with people, even if they don't believe or vote like us. And if you don't believe me about how all of this has created huge problems, um, I'm pulling this from an article in The Atlantic called The Threat of Tribalism, and it's by uh, Amy Chua and Jeb Rubenfield. And what I love they had to say here um, was this. And they're speaking to where we are historically as a country. And they said this, and it really kind of hung with me. It says, the cause of America's resurgent tribalism, um, uh, the causes of America's resurgent tribalisms are many. They include seismic demographic change, which has led to predictions that whites will lose their majority status within a few decades, declining social mobility, and grow a growing class divide, and media that rewards expressions of outrage. 
all of this has contributed to a climate in which every group in America, minorities and whites, conservatives and liberals, the working class and the elites feel under attack, pitted against the others, not just for jobs and spoils, but for the right to define the nation's identity. And in these conditions, democracy devolves into a zero-sum competition, one in which parties succeed by stoking voters' fears and appealing to their ugliest us-versus-them instincts. And why am I talking all about this? Well, I'm talking about this right now is because in this week of Thanksgiving, no, I'm not going to get sappy and cheesy and talk about what are we thankful about. You can find that at Hallmark if you're looking for it. But what I'm talking about is the small microcosm that all of you are going to experience on Thanksgiving. Whether you're hanging out with family, extended family, uh, whether you're hanging out with neighbors or folks in your community, or whether you're a plus one going to a party where you don't know anybody, you're going to see some sort of a microcosm of culture. And you're going to experience it. I mean, we all make jokes about having that racist uncle or aunt or dad or mom or grandpa. You know, that one that makes holidays uncomfortable. But how we respond to those folks has an impact. It has an impact on how we move forward. It has an impact on our own souls and what we believe in and, and what we aspire to be a part of. Whether you're Christian or atheist, whether you're Republican or Democrat, like they said in an article, I just, I love them saying that this isn't a zero-sum game. We're a vastly different group of people all thrown into some weird melting pot that is America here. And the sad fact of the matter is our churches don't, they don't help with this. And I feel like in many ways, the churches are also part of the problem within this. And if you think back about this, yeah, think about echo chamber, check. Tribalism, check. Confirmation bias, check. You know, those things are kind of rinse and repeat, and they continue on Sunday after Sunday. I mean, even the nature of churches in America, if we look at them here, think of these denominations, different splits, different offshoots, different groups that believe this, that don't believe this those that are Calvinist or Armenian, all those. We, we continue to see these and we argue for supremacy, wanting to win. Who knows the most? Who knows more? Who has the best theology? Who has the biggest building? All of this. And we're killing ourselves with it. Because when Jesus was establishing what he called the church or ecclesia, these people of God, this wasn't about a corporation, an institution, a tribe a political party. It wasn't about any of that. It was about this idea of us loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, loving those that aren't like us, about doing good in our communities, doing good for the greater good of the world. It's about doing greater good for those that will come after us that we don't even know. And these ideas of grace and compassion and love and peace those kind of things reigned and those kind of things bound us together. But now we're worried about, well, I believe the Bible says this. I believe the Bible says this. Well, I voted this way. Well, I voted this way. And so on and so forth. 
And the further we argue, the further we go, the harder our hearts get. And the more and more deaf our ears become. We can't see the humanity and the folks sitting around our table at Thanksgiving. We are in trouble. And if we can't see their humanity, what does it say about our own humanity? You see, these are scary times. There's lots of things to be terrified about. There's lots of things to be scared about. We can be scared about whatever our president's going to do or say or whoever he's going to piss off next. We could be scared about can North Korea really shoot a bomb that hits anywhere. We can be worried about authority, the rise of authoritarianism. There's so many things for us to be able to be worried about. Climate change. Income inequality, the list goes on and on. But the real thing we need to be scared about is us losing our own humanity in the process of all of this. And, 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 and our pursuit of the end justifying the mean of needing to fix, fix, fix this all right now. I mean, we can fix, we have the means to be able to offset climate change. But if we're all at each other's throats, what does it matter anyways? And no, 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 I'm not being defeatist here. Don't, don't hear me say this. Yes, protect the planet. Yes, yes, protect the planet. Yes, help those that need help. But real change just begins here at home. It begins here as we look at ourselves in the mirror. So if the problem lies in ourselves, we have to begin to change the way that we look at the world around us and how we consume information. Um, in 1996, these two MIT researchers, they, they coined this phrase. Uh, it's cyber balkanization, cyber balkanization. And um, in their report, they said this, um, and this is coming from uh, Marshall Van Alston and Eric Byron Joffson. And so they were speaking about cyber balkanization in these terms. He said, uh, individuals empowered to screen out material that does not conform to their existing preferences may form virtual cliques, insulating themselves from opposing points of view, reinforcing biases. The internet users can seek out interactions with like-minded individuals who have similar values and thus become less likely to trust important decisions to people whose values differ from their own. And uh, the last article I kind of want to dive into a little bit is by David Robert Grimes in The Guardian. It's an article entitled, Echo Chambers Are Dangerous and We Must Try to Break Free from Our Online Bubbles. And I believe he begins to kind of lead us in a direction to be able to, yeah, uh, lead us in a direction out of where we're at. And he says this, and speaking about echo chambers, so why does this happen? Part of the problem is our reliance on, on internet giants and their vested interest in rewarding us with what we like to see. Everything from our Google searches to our Facebook news feeds are tailored to keep us in, engaged and generate profit. But while there is limited evidence that the filter bubbles might reduce diversity, the data suggests that we play the lead role in driving our own polarization. It's coming back to us, folks. He continues saying, we are much more <clears throat> homogenous than we think and tend to 
interact more with people who echo our own beliefs. A recent study in, uh, in science found that we tend to engage most with information that flatters our own ideological preconceptions and that this accounted for much more selection bias than algorithmic filtering. So as much as we want to blame Google and all of them, it still comes back to us, but we still have to be able to, <laughs> to watch out to how information is being fed to us. Uh, the article continues saying, it doesn't have to be this way. The echo chamber may be comforting, but ultimately it locks us into perpetual tribalism and does tangible damage to our understanding. To counteract this, we need to become more discerning at analyzing our sources something we are currently poor at doing. More difficult, perhaps, is that we must learn to not cling to something solely because it chimes with our beliefs and be willing to jettison any notion when it is contradicted by evidence, no matter how comforting the disproven idea may be. And as the great uh, physicist Richard Feynman once observed, we ourselves are the easiest person to fool. This adage should never be far from our minds and this interconnected world. So he's beginning to push us towards where we need to go. So a couple things off the top of my head about how we consume information, which is, which is a starting point. Because we tend to only read things that confirm what we already believe. So that being said, we need to be willing to read things that may offend us. We need to be willing to read stuff that we don't agree with. Now, I'm not saying just blatantly just going out there and consuming information and believing everything from the other side. No, no, I think we need to be able to read it with a rational eye. I think we need to be able to read it by saying, even though I may disagree with this, what is this person's perspective? Why are they saying this? Why are they upset? Why are they angry? Why are they afraid? Why are they doing this? We need to become more discerning readers and being more discerning about how we consume things. Um, we need to be willing to go into unfamiliar or hostile spaces. Thanksgiving, right? Unfamiliar and hostile. Maybe it's way too familiar and way too hostile. But part of this is the fact of whether it be online or in our communities, we tend to self-select the groups that we will only want to hang out with. But I think we need to be willing to go into unfamiliar and spaces that we may deem hostile. Now, I'm telling you this um, also with a caveat. Uh, for folks that have been through abuse and abusive situations, I am not telling you to go into those spaces. Self-preservation <laughs> uh, is something that we need to uphold in all of this. So if I'm, I'm, I'm talking a lot of this through like in an ideological sense, but no, no, no. If you've been through abusive situations, no, please don't. Please don't go back into those hostile environments. I don't mean it. I mean it more ideological uh, hostility that we're dealing with, not physical. So first and foremost, keep yourself emotionally and physically safe at all times. But ideologically speaking, it is good for us at times to be able to go into unfamiliar and hostile spaces. And when we're in those spaces, we need to be willing to listen. We need, and it's hard. It's hard when you're sitting across from a person that is telling you something that you would deem offensive and that you would say is completely wrong and off-based and you want to be able to argue with them because you want to fix them. Just like they are having that argument because they want to fix you. 
Because if we can only fix everyone to believing what we believe, then the world will be easier. But that's not the way people work. That's not the way life works. We need to be willing to listen to people. To hear them out. To treat them like they're equals. To be able to see the humanity in them. And as we're listening, we need to be good question askers. If you're disagreeing with what someone is saying, especially like disagreeing like in, in your own heart, like that, you know, that kind of disagreement that's like in the fiber of your being, you're like, oh my God, everything they're saying is 1000% wrong. And you want to just almost like go into an Alex Jones type rage and just like, and set the world straight. That's easy. Getting angry, easy. Going off on people, easy. The hard thing is to begin to ask them questions. And I'm not saying condescending questions, but really questions that, that can lead you to understand why they believe what they believe. Like, what are the root causes of this belief? When someone is screaming that we need to lock up all immigrants, what drives that statement? We get hung up in the statement, but we actually don't pay attention to what's driving that statement. And usually statements like that are, are a fear or a fear of loss or a fear of uh, not feeling safe. And see, those, those, those kind of core fears or those core impulses that drive folks, I think you're going to begin to see you have a kinship or a commonality to that. There are all things we fear. There are all things we worried about. And you may not agree with their conclusions, but you can at least see that oftentimes people are speaking from places of pain. And oftentimes the more offensive their standpoint, probably the deeper the pain. I'm not saying that happens everywhere, but I've noticed that a lot when I talk to people. Usually folks that are absolutely offensive in what they're saying they say those things as some sort of a defense mechanism to begin to not have you look at them. They're hurt, they're broken, and they're still humans. And if you're a person that believes um, in God, they're folks that are created in the image of God as well too, just like you are. And I know all this is is really kind of a hard pill to swallow. And it's not something you want to hear going into <laughs> Thanksgiving where in many ways you want to go in guns blazing and be like, I want to set the record straight and I want to fix all these people this table. I want to get all this bad theology and bad politics out there and I want to make sure they understand the truth. But they're saying the exact same thing about you. And if our interactions with others are always about being ready for a fight, I feel like we've lost something. We've lost something pretty great. Um, if that's where we're at. And I want to give a couple more tips of wisdom from Zahid uh, Dahaj, uh, the one I had spoke to earlier about toxic tribalism, and and these were some these were some tips. That, that he was actually pushing forth too. And I think these are also, they kind of lay on top of the others I was mentioning. But, um, and these were his reasons for how to destroy toxic tribalism. His first one being, become an individual. And in the article, he also throws in an amazing quote by Frederick Nietzsche. 
that says the individual has always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. If you try it, if you try it, you'll be lonely often and sometimes frightened, but no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning yourself. So one of the problems with that toxic tribalism is that you lose your individuality. So continue to become an individual. Follow what interests you. Develop a sense of independence. Sure, you can identify with folks in a group and a lot of the beliefs of a group, but remember, uh, the group does not tell you how to think or to believe or how to process the world around you. That's how, in situations of toxic tribalism, we can also get into abuse. So continue to be an individual. You are not a Republican or Democrat. You are not an atheist or a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim. You are human first and foremost. And I know many religious people will not like me for saying that, but you are human first and foremost. That is how you were born into this world. So be an individual and recognize the rights of other individuals and recognize the humanity of other individuals. Number two on his list uh, of how we can destroy to toxic tribalism, uh, number two was question your assumptions. And it's like we've been talking about this whole hour. It's us beginning to look deeply into ourselves, like what motivates us, what motivates why we believe what we believe. How do we come to this place of believing what we believe? And we begin to even analyze ourselves more and more we're able to understand deeper why we believe what we believe. And hopefully, if you can understand why you believe what you believe, you can own it. And you can own it in a way that you own it with an open hand, where you're able to still go out and talk to others that don't believe the way you believe. And questioning our assumptions is actually beneficial to us because it shows us our blind spots in life. Even though all of this stuff kind of feels like you're playing the game of operation on yourself. <laughs> question your assumptions. Question why you believe this. Oh, this sounds too painful. I would rather just be angry and post a meme online. That's an option. I'm not saying it's the best option. Number three on their list was entertain contradictory ideas. And he says this. He says, entertain ideas that go against your current beliefs and worldview. This will help you to become more open-minded on your journey. Have discussions with other people go to lectures and so forth. Number four, reading and research. This will open your mind to new perspectives and allow you to step away from the subjective aspects of your life. I love number five on his list, travel. Traveling is a great way to experience other cultures, uh, which just shatter your assumptions and ideas about your cultural norms. And six, six, this comes down to everything. Be kind. Uh, he says, this one seems ridiculous to mention, but I think that it's one of the most powerful things that we can do to combat toxic tribalism. Approach everyone with kindness. Treat those around you how you yourself would want to be treated. And that sounds a little like Jesus. The do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. What, 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 what? I mean, Jesus doesn't have to be a conservative a-hole? Actually, he's really not a conservative a-hole at all. If you actually go into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read about Jesus, this, 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 this is the most important thing, I think, of all of this, is be kind. It doesn't mean be a punching bag, but be kind. And in certain situations, especially moving towards Thanksgiving, you may have to practice radical kindness because Thanksgiving is difficult. 
for most of us. How about that? Most of us. There's some people that will love it and have a family fun time for all. But by and large, as the stereotypes continue to move on, we know that Thanksgivings can be hard. And as I, I've talked, I've talked through all of this about us, us changing the way we look and that how we approach the world, how we approach digesting and bringing in information, how we challenge ourselves um, helps us to be better people and it helps us to engage better with the problems that are facing the world today. Because as I'd mentioned before, if we have issues that are catastrophic, like climate change, whether we are Republican or Democrat will not matter in the end. When it comes down to basic times, I mean, basic natures of like of survival, all this other stuff, all these tribes in many ways will start to fall away. So one way to make America great again is for us to be kind, for us to go out and engage with others in a different way, for us to have a different posture when we approach conversations with people that we don't like. Change begins with us. And so here's your homework. I'd promised this earlier. I promised this earlier in the show about giving some survival tips <laughs> for surviving Thanksgiving. And in the light of all of this that we've been through this, I feel like all of these things fit very well together. So here's a couple of survival tips, some snarky survival tips for Thanksgiving. Because sometimes Thanksgiving is about just surviving, but I actually want to teach you how to thrive in this situation and handle Thanksgiving like a boss. So first of all, whether you're going with your family or whether you're going with a friend or even if you're going solo, remember this also. Do not go this alone. So if you're flying solo, you need to do some reconnaissance. Either bring your plus one or speak to someone else that you're friendly with that will be in that tribe that will be sitting around that table. You need to be in cahoots to survive. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, this, let's just be honest, this can be war with delicious food. Um, there is strength in numbers. Make sure someone has your back going into Thanksgiving, especially if Thanksgiving is a hostile environment. Number two on my list, snarky list here for surviving Thanksgiving, watch it with the drinky poo. So watch how much you drink on Thanksgiving. Now, I'm not being a teetotaler here. What I'm telling you is this. The liquor can be your best friend or the liquor can be your worst enemy in these situations. What do I mean by that? Well, your natural inclination, if you're going to a situation that you already redeem, like you just, just assume in your head to be painful, the easiest answer is to numb the pain. I get it. Been there. Done that. But, 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 if you're trying to survive this day, you may not want to go too heavy on the sauce, depending on your situation, because what it begins to do is it makes you drop your guards down. And if you're walking into a hostile Thanksgiving situation, you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself and that you're not engaging when you don't need to engage. So remember that. Watch out for the drinky poo. It can be your friend or it can be your enemy, depending on the situation you have in there. And Here's what I also, I also want to give you. 
Now, keeping in mind, <laughs> keeping in mind, some of these are survival techniques for making it through Thanksgiving. Learn the art of deflection. Oftentimes, you may find yourself being cornered by somebody, uh, asking you very pointed questions, whether it be about politics or your personal life and things that you don't want to answer. Learn the art of deflection. Oh, hey, did someone call me in the other room? I'm sorry, I'll be right back. Oh, I think mom needs help in the kitchen. Or, return your question with a question. Those are always perennial winners. So learn the art of deflection. It can save you in the end. Also, here's a quick little tip. If you're like in awkward situations, you can always pull this one out. And I, this is like a cheap one. This is like, this is a cheap cheat. But you can always be like, oh, hey, it's picture time. Let's get together and have some pictures. Or, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to go capture some pictures of this event. I can't keep having a conversation about why you think the immigrant caravan coming towards here is going to destroy the earth. I'll take pictures and we'll just put a pause on that for now. And you say that knowing you're never going to unpause that. You're going to leave that thing like you rented that sucker from Blockbuster 20 years ago. You're leaving it on pause in the VCR just forever. It's there forever. So remember, come up with an excuse. Taking pictures is always a great one. But also when you're caught in these situations, we'd mentioned this earlier when we were talking about echo chambers. Ask questions. Ask questions. Sometimes a great way, and this kind of still comes under the art of deflection, but begin to ask questions um, with folks. Ask them about their lives. Don't make this just about politics. Oh, yeah, so what have you been up to this past year? Oh, tell me about yourself. What's new? Those kind of open-ended questions, because guess what? Whether you're right or left, whether you're whatever like, tribe you're in, people generally like to talk about themselves as long as you're not being creepy or crazy. So as long as you're not creepy or crazy, asking lots of questions and getting to understand other people can also be a good technique. And to some degree, depending on your own situation, part of Thanksgiving is being able to manage time. <laughs> and when I say manage time, here's what I want to tell you here. Before you step into a situation, now this is really just, I think this is good information for anybody going into any kind of a holiday gathering. But especially if your holiday gathering is hostile, set goals ahead of time. If you're traveling with somebody else, if you're, if, you're, if you're going into this battle with somebody else, set goals and set an exit strategy. One of the greatest things that my wife has ever taught me was this. Establish a time that you're going to leave. I mean, seriously, this is like, like if you're in prison, you know when your parole hearing is. You know when you're going to get a whiff of freedom. Oh, the sweet smell of air out there. Know what your goals are. Know when you want to leave. And know how you're going to leave. If you're going with your family, if you're going with a friend, talk about this ahead of time. I know this sounds insane. And maybe it is. But having a nice, clear exit strategy. Or excuse. Excuses always work. But having a nice, clear exit strategy will keep you alive in all of this. Because I believe, I believe that even though Thanksgiving is insane, and maybe it's not just my family, but a lot of our families are crazy. But I think that even in all of this, these are opportunities for us to learn to be better. For us to learn to engage with things that are difficult and be able to walk through them constructively and find a better way to live. 
in the midst of all of this. So if we talked about this hour, we need to be aware of the echo chambers that exist, that we find ourselves in. We need to be able to see toxic tribalism and avoid it, but also see those places, see those places in our own hearts where we can kind of lean into those places and start to ask questions about those. Like, why do I like that? Why does that feel good? Should it feel good when I chant lock her up or lock him up? I don't, you know, whichever way you go with that. And confirmation bias. We need to be more awake and aware of how we consume information, of how we form our lenses, of how we view and interact with the world around us. We can do this. We can do this. And I know in many ways, uh, it would be easier to have a show for me to tell you guys, here are the five things you need to do, even though I've listed off several lists of suggestions. But life is messy. Life is hard. The road of faith is messy and hard. And as we move forward, our whole goal should just be to make the world better. Not just better for me, not as a selfish thing, the world better for everybody. That would be my hope for all of us. So on this Thanksgiving-ish themed episode, I will send you off. I will send you off with an Irish Thanksgiving blessing. You've probably heard this a thousand times, but I like this. And it goes like this. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. Until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. So as you walk out onto this week or drive out or fly out into this week, wherever the way <laughs> that your life takes you, remember, whether you're waiting in line at an airport, whether you're trying to hail a taxi, whether you're sitting across the table from someone with an ugly sweater and an uglier view of the world, you are the change that needs to happen. And you have within yourself the ability to be able to make change. And don't let these holiday seasons be something that you let others harden your heart. Instead, kind of walk into it with an open heart. And an open heart to where you're able to grab onto the good and just let go of the bad as you move through this. Because guess what, folks? I may have a microphone here, but I am still in process. I don't have it figured out. I'm still messy. And I'm pretty sure you're still messy too. So hopefully we can all kind of stumble forward in a positive direction together to being less and less messy. And as I look at the time here, I was planning on padding the rest of the show uh, with a bunch of snarky Thanksgiving-esque music. But oops, I talk too much. Someone's got a big mouth. But I seriously do that. I send you off as I do every week with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. Just knowing that I believe in you, you can make that change within yourself. You can survive Thanksgiving and you can do it. I believe in you. You can do it.
So as we end this broadcast, just a reminder that you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. And as I hear from other listeners out there in the world, please, please drop me a line. Questions at snarkyfaith.com. Questions, criticisms, critiques, ideas for new shows, feedback, whatever you want to tell me, I'm here to listen. And guess what? I respond to it all. Unless you're spam. But if you're listening to the show right now, I'm pretty sure spam can't listen. So go out and carry grace and peace and snark with you. See, you got two blessings this week. Whoa, it's a Thanksgiving miracle. But have a wonderful and safe holiday week. And I will be back again next week. I'm out of here. See ya. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question-askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.